Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag podcast presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar, with my co-hosts, Anissa, Kristen, and Mariah. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words, and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome to the very first podcast of Not Just a Hashtag. We are so excited that you are here. My name is Nicole Escobar and I am your host. I am here with not only my three lovely friends, but my co-hosts who are going to go around the room and introduce themselves. Uh, Let's start with you. Kristen. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kristen Torres. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I've been a therapist for uh, about 11 years now, actually. Wow. And so um, I work a lot with different issues. And um, one of the main ones is uh, trauma. So I'm an EMDR therapist as well and supervise other um, therapists that are getting their licenses. And so that's what I do. I'm Anissa Mellinger. I am working at Trees of Hope almost kind of um, on, oh, we're not talking about Trees of Hope That's yet. okay. That's fine. We're um, about Kind of like on an intern basis, I'm working with content and doing the social media, which has been really wild. I was previously really involved in the educational field. I was a teacher, a middle school English teacher and high school English teacher, and that was really wild. But I love teaching people, and so that's something that I'm really excited to bring to this podcast is just, you know, educating people on sexual abuse and anything related to that healing um i've been here for like what two something two-ish three-ish months now (laughs) but yeah it's a little bit about me and you my name's mariah jones um i'm originally from kansas i moved here in florida in 2008 and I teach voice lessons at an awesome school Oceanside School of Worship um, here in Fort Lauderdale yeah I've been doing that for about six years maybe a little more I can't remember so yeah that's great thank mm-hmm. you so uh, you've heard a few times the name Trees of Hope um, we all work with or at an organization called Trees of Hope We are located in South Florida, and the mission and vision, really, of Trees of Hope is to help victims who have been sexually abused through support groups or recovery groups. But we also offer uh, prevention education resources for parents who need to know ways on how to prevent sexual abuse from happening in their family. And we started that because about 10 or 12 years ago, we had our first healing group, support group, that came through, and we thought it would be really great to teach those parents on ways to, or the people who had gone through the healing group, ways to prevent sexual abuse. So we go ahead and kind of throw something together, like a little educational PowerPoint on different stats and ways to prevent sexual abuse. And when we were presenting, one of the ladies goes home and tells her husband about what she had learned at the prevention workshop. And as she was talking to her husband, they were like, let's go talk to our kid about 
about what we've learned here. And one of the things that we teach is about, about teaching your child about body parts and having the proper names for those body parts. So they went to the child and they said, so who's allowed to touch your penis? And the boy said, mommy, daddy, and Joey next door. So that sparked a whole thing in us Mm. that we have to be teaching prevention, that sexual abuse can only stop through education. Mm -hmm. So so I didn't get to tell who I am (laughs) and why I'm here. (laughs) But my name is Nicole Escobar. Like I said, I am born and raised in South Florida. Um, It's like a unicorn, really, in South (laughs) Florida. Not many people are born and raised from here. I have been at Trees of Hope for six years or going on six years. I've gone from being the marketing director to the assistant executive director to now the executive director. And I've been in that position for the last year and a half. And I came here because I was a victim of sexual abuse and I had gone through one of the support groups that we offer here. So um, it has been life-changing to me working here. It's, it's really fueled a passion that I didn't know I even had up until about two years ago. And I love working with all these ladies that are here in this podcast, but also the women that come through our healing groups and all the different um, educators that we have at, in our prevention side of what we do. So I think uh, now is a great time to <laughs> say one interesting fact about yourself that our listeners wouldn't know and you want to go Kristen so I am now bringing bringing the fun (laughs) yeah bring the fun (laughs) okay so um all right so I have three dogs and I think probably most exciting about that is well I just love dogs and one of them actually watches tv yeah they're all terrier type dogs and so she literally watches tv and scans it scans the tv for any other animals Aww, on the tv I then gets that. up and starts well it would be nice if she were friendly about it right oh. but no she jumps up and actually starts barking at the tv which oh. then gets the other two riled up that something's going on but they think something's going on outside oh wow so then they're running to the doors and then she's still barking at the tv lunging at it so which is kind of funny for a little 13 pound dog yeah so anyways <laughs> so yes that's the that's the fun part love that dogs are awesome yeah they are they are level so my fun fact is I'm going to jump on the uh, s- curtails, is that what they say? Oh, curtails, <laughs> Curtails, <yes>. actually, <laughs> of um, Kristen here. I am a dog lover. I have two dogs. Uh, I have one named Zara. She's a French bulldog. And then the other one is Coco. She's an American bulldog. And um, my other fun fact, because I'm a one-upper too, <laughs> is I have run five marathons in my life, and I've traveled... Um, different parts of the world to do those marathons. So oh, I, I love running. That. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. That is really cool. Well, I'm gonna hop on her coattails. <laughs> my fun fact is, um, I actually spent the majority of my honeymoon. My honeymoon was 41 days long, and my husband and I's friends have never let us live it down because it is really ridiculous. But it's where we blew all of our money was on our honeymoon, and we spent the majority of it in the Middle East. which a lot of people when they hear the Middle East they usually think of a few things none of them like vacation oriented or honeymoon oriented so the Middle East is my favorite place in the entire world Jordan specifically it's just such a beautiful place the people are the best you'll be walking through the street and people will be like hey you want to come over for dinner tonight (laughs) and I mean David and I got so many free meals just going over to people's houses and sitting with them and drinking Turkish tea and 
honestly, it was just the time of our lives. So my fun fact, I love the Middle East, spent a lot of time there. I'm trying to go back this summer, literally God willing, but it's the best. Now, what's the dog story over there, though? Okay, really funny you say that because um, (laughs) so people in the Middle East, you don't have animals in your home because like you think about the animals there are usually just like livestock. And so when you have animals in your home, it's like really dirty and people automatically know you were like not born and raised in the Middle East. So I stayed with some missionaries, some workers like two summers ago in Jordan and they have pets and everyone knew that they weren't Muslim because they had pets. Here's another fun fact, not about me, but (laughs) (laughs) they don't call it, um, if you're not a Muslim in the Middle East, you're a Christian. It's just like a, just a general term for everyone. And so they were like, oh, those people must be Christians because they have a dog and two cats. So no one has pets. The dog situation in the Middle East is a very sad one. It's not existent. Except for a few Yes. Except for a few Christians (laughs) who have, who have pets. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Um, well, I was thinking about my fun fact, and I think it's probably not as fun now because kombucha is more like well known now. But I make my no, own not. kombucha. It's not well known. It's not. No. I think it's pretty well known. <laughs> it's pretty it's, trendy. It's yeah, it's trendy. like the most trending I feel thing like right now. <laughs> I was making it though before it got trendy. You were, but um, yeah. I actually I, remember the first time yeah. I met you. I had asked the same thing. <laughs> Give me a fun fact, and you were like, "I make kombucha." Yeah, that is a fun fact. I, well, I never thought it was a fun fact until. One time I went on a blind date and my roommate was like, so what'd you talk about? I want to hear this whole story And I was telling them (laughs) about it and and they're like, what it went, and when he asked me what my hobbies were, I'm like, I don't know, I just follow, I didn't even say anything. She's like, oh my gosh, Mariah, you make kombucha, you're into essential oils, you make your own stuff, and blah, 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 all these things. And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess, you ride your bike, you you hang on hammocks. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I never thought of saying things like that. You just sound like the so, cutest person. I just <laughs> made myself really boring on my first date, so... I didn't know what to say. So, so anyway, obviously kombucha. that never panned out. <laughs> no, it didn't. All his loss. Yeah. No, thank you. Now we can talk. Okay, hold on. We have to link this to dogs somehow. Yeah, please <laughs> do. Oh, I yeah. love okay. dogs. So it, for, according to Google, I mean, you know, we have to be careful yeah. with that as a, a source overall. But one of the websites that pops up here says that kombucha can be given to dogs. I have I given that. my dogs I kombucha. I have. It's I've a healthy gut accidentally drink. Accidentally Give it Spilt to your it dogs, on the floor and they lapped it up. It up. And yeah. there we go. Loved it. Yeah. An interesting adding to the fun fact. I would give it to my dog. Yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> if you had a dog. If I had a dog. <laughs> okay, so now we are going to talk about things that are not so fun and <laughs> really the reason why we're here. <laughs> um, so I'd actually love to hear each one of your stories and the why you're here doing this podcast. Um, But before we tell our stories, you, Mariah, had a great Mm -hmm. reason for this podcast. Um, I know I'm the host, but you had a beautiful (laughs) um, reason for being so passionate about doing this podcast with me. So can you share some of that? Yeah, sure. Um, I just think, you know, now that we're like living in a time where people are actually speaking out about it and, you know, it takes like people in the world's eye and just things that are coming out on TV and the news. The reality is, is that abuse has has been happening for years Mm -hmm. and 
specifically for women because we're all women here today um, it's not just women but we've dealt with our whole lives whether it's sexual harassment or comments or mm-hmm. um, it's it really becomes our norm that mm-hmm. we almost have to apologize for saying we're uncomfortable with something right and mm-hmm. so um, when I'm thinking like man how can we you know talk about these things and not just talk about our stories and even just war stories but talk about how to heal and how Mm -hmm. to stand up for yourself and have a voice and male female child whoever it is it's like the best time to to start something like this where we're talking Mm -hmm. and we're reaching out to people who have experienced the same thing and those who may not even know this world and don't know how to respond or talk about it or maybe even prevent even what may be happening in their own families and they don't know. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, with the hashtags and the movements, it's, it's empower people to even just say me too, if it was hard for them to even say that for them, it was Mm -hmm. like their time to say Mm -hmm. that was me. Um, but where do they go after that? You know, who are they talking to and what kind of backlash have they gotten since then Mm -hmm. that have harmed them even more and they don't know what to do with it. So, um, even though it has empowered, these movements have empowered movement, how are their souls being cared for? And so, and how do we do something about it? You know, it seems Mm -hmm. like a huge chasm of what do we do but right. um it's just starting the conversation and, mm-hmm. and seeing how people respond and what we can give them in the direction of healing and prevention and starting those difficult conversations and it's not easy to talk about it you know no. we'll talk about a lot of things in this but I think it's worth it it's like for me and I've told you this before but even for me like telling my story to me is like a sacrifice of love because mm-hmm. it hurts every time you say it yeah and it's not easy and yes maybe the pain and the grief gets smaller and smaller where you're not falling apart and your eyes are like bawling or whatever mm-hmm. it will always affect you you know because it has it's a it's you know left it's a, a part of you mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure. so, mm-hmm. yeah anyway yeah, that's so good. And and exactly. I mean, the reason why we're here is because I think all of us can say unifiably, unifiably <laughs> that um, we want those who have been sexually abused to know that they're more, that they're worth it, that they're mm-hmm. worth sharing their story, they're worth healing, they're worth knowing their worth. Yeah. And we want them to know that you're not just a part of a movement, that yeah. your that your story matters mm-hmm. to be more than that. And yeah. and mm-hmm. healing will come by speaking up and healing and not minimizing and, and talking about it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But yes, like you have said, it, it is like a sacrifice each and every time because mm-hmm. it, it stings, but a little less every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's great. So let's go right into that then. Let's tell our stories. <laughs> Do you want me to start or you want to start? Mariah, you want yeah, to start? Yeah, I'll start. Okay. Okay. Um, so my story starts when I was around four. I don't have memories of what happened, but I know that I like um, acted out. Like I knew how to stimulate myself at four years old. Yeah. Um, and I would make my Barbies have sex and things that a four-year-old wouldn't know unless they saw something or something had been done to them or they made whatever it may be. So the person in my family, my brother, actually sexually abused me until probably fourth grade. At least that was my last memory. And, you know, nobody knew about it. And it was shameful for me because at the same time 
he was saying things like, you know, don't tell anyone or they know how bad you are, that you wanted this. And um, they're going to see that that's gross and that you wanted that. And so he would say things over me like that and then also use games, which is typical for child sexual abuse. They use games Mm -hmm. and it's confusing. So, and then, you know, living that, you know, by myself in secret Um, it just kind of wrecked my self-worth and also how I dealt with things and suffering so silently and learning how to kind of just try to freeze that out and you know go somewhere else and things like that and Mm so wanting my the attention of a sibling and like being excited that he's picking me on his team and I'm the first one he wants and you know things that are attached to messages like, you're my favorite, you're the only one that understands me, like, I would rather be with you than anyone else, but then yet you're taking something from me that I didn't want to give you, and so that just entangles itself in, Mm -hmm. you know, what should be awesome words of, like, encouragement and bonding, that bond is now distorted with sexual perversion, and so that led me on to, you know, I want to say adulthood, but I was 19, or actually a teenager, 17, 18, and another person in my family um, that was a close close cousin of mine sexually assaulted me. And, um, you know, at that time, when it happened, it, I really reverted back to that childlike way of dealing with it, which was like completely froze. And then I was mad at myself for freezing because why didn't I fight? Why didn't I, how could I let this happen again kind of thing? Um, and what is it about me that somehow this would happen again and that he would target me out of everyone in our family. So, you know, and then, so with that, that was the most traumatic one. Um, I was raped by him and, you know, that was one instance, but I had a couple instances with him before where he took advantage of me when I was, we were all, us cousins were drinking, and you know, when you're with family, you don't think anything Mm -hmm. about drinking with each other. Mm -hmm. It's completely safe. You feel the most safe. Um, And he manipulated me to make me stay with them, and we were all camping, and you know, he was like, oh, don't leave, don't, you know, you promised you'd stick it out with me, and used guilt to keep me there, and of course, he then took advantage of me up there, when everyone left um and so that was like I I acted as if that never happened Mm -hmm. and froze it down but I had to go to school with him and he would sit behind me in class and I would just be sick to my stomach Mm -hmm. hearing him breathe and so again another suffering silently and I would dare not tell anyone because there's just so much shame Mm -hmm. and this false guilt that attaches it as if you're responsible for it and that was your fault and I was afraid of what people would say like it was my fault you know or you know whatever it is so that's my story and I've been you know dealing with it and you know for years I didn't talk about it until you know he raped me in 2006 and that was when my life crumbled you know like I totally shut down I wouldn't talk to anybody I was like hurting myself I was not myself Mm -hmm. Um, and I learned quickly how to put on this outward appearance that nothing was going on but like completely dead inside and being in my room at night was a is when I was really completely myself fully 
and I would just cry myself to sleep and couldn't change in front. I mean, it's just, and it just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. And even though it's been 2006, like, it's heartbreaking now. Like, there's not despair anymore. It's just heartbreak that, mm-hmm. that anyone should have to go through that. And I'm glad that it even grieves me now because mm-hmm. it used to not grieve me. It used to just make me hate myself. And now I'm actually brokenhearted that, that sh- my child self and then my teenage self never had a chance. But, you know, sitting here today and like front of you guys and knowing that you have all your stories and you understand is part of what has been the rebuilding process for me and coming through um, a healing group and support group and dealing with it, going to counseling and letting people in on that silent suffering and being able to um, not hold all of that as my own responsibility and mm-hmm. and so I've I've been able to see the the um, result of letting other women in to that and and hearing their stories and so I'm I'm passionate with you too Nicole I'm, I'm the same we're all passionate about it because we know how destructive it is in a life and in a child and not giving them a chance to develop the way they were supposed to um and how they'll have to carry that the rest of their lives but it doesn't have to be something that now defines their life and who they are but they find a new side of them and maybe even better Mm -hmm. and so yeah that's my story and I'm hoping to I hope one person to like whoever listens to it can can say oh my gosh that's me and I I felt the same way I I could I don't feel like I can speak up because of it's in our family Mm -hmm. and no one will believe me because some people won't believe you Mm -hmm. and I think as we keep talking um comments are almost just as hurtful as the actual thing that happened to you you know because those are the things that spin in your head over and over even when that experience is over Mm -hmm. so and they're the ones that you love and trust Mm -hmm. so yeah all right thank you so much mariah for sharing your story anisa you're okay so whenever i think back on my story with sexual abuse it is really hard to pinpoint because i know that i I grew up as a pretty radically insecure person and so in middle school when everyone started to have crushes and guys were starting to like all of my friends, I just was never paid attention to and that sounds really ridiculous and really minor but I know that that just really opened me up for an opportunity for anyone to give me any attention and me just totally capitulate under you know the weight of anything they wanted to do with me or have me do for them and so I was 13 years old. I just turned 13 when I got into a ridiculously serious relationship with an older guy. And he, since he was older, all of his friends were already starting to do stuff with their girlfriends. And so he really pressured me a lot in the form of even sending him pictures and videos. And I would because 
I always felt so guilty that he wasn't getting what his friends were getting. And I come from a very, very Christian home. And I hate to use those words, but my dad was a youth pastor. My mom was like the poster child for women's ministry. And so I never grew up hearing about anything sex related. I love my parents so much. They're the cutest, but, you know, they just never touched that. It was like, you know, even the the shows we watched, everything was so so tailored for a Christian home you know if Bob Barnes didn't say that it was okay like focus on the family didn't give it its seal of approval it was not allowed in our home so a lot of these things that this boy was talking to me about I just never heard of and it was such a terrifying new world and so he would just ask me to send him pictures and videos it was the least I could do since I wasn't actually doing anything with him like all of his friends were getting from their girlfriends and so I did because, you know, he was the first guy to really pay attention to me at all, to give me any sort of attention. And then I remember when we broke up, he, because I wouldn't sleep with him, he sent all of those pictures and videos to all of the guys in his grade. And so I remember I walked into my math class. I would always show up super late. And so I walked in, everyone was already seated and all the boys were calling me superstar and they were like oh do you have an extra pencil superstar do you have and did you do the homework superstar and I was just oblivious I had no idea what was going on and I was like okay these boys are dumb and then this boy actually pulled me off to the side after class and he was like hey do you know why everyone is calling you superstar and I was like no I have no idea and he was like I just want to let you know that so-and-so sent all of the pictures and videos that you had sent him when you were dating to all the guys in his grade and I remember I felt like I was gonna throw up and I went and I tracked him down and of course he denied everything but you know all this stuff was out there and so I had immediately garnished this reputation for myself as a slut and a whore and a hoe and just all the names all the names and sometimes like to this day it's something that you know it, it will be hard because I still live in South Florida where I went to high school and so I still see some of these people and it's so hard to like remember that's not me and you know I'm not I'm not those names those names don't define me but I just totally started to live up to this reputation that everyone had for me and so you know what comes with that I didn't have any good girlfriends and so I was partying with everyone that I was friends with and, you know, doing drugs and just really, really lost control of my life. And then I started dating this other guy. Guys were like my, I don't even know what I would really call it. I don't want to say kryptonite because that sounds really dumb, but just that was my like reprieve. And that's where I, I felt like I knew guys best. And that's what always made me feel better were these awful, toxic, codependent relationships with men. And so I got into another relationship right after that. And because this boy had dumped me because I wouldn't sleep with him, I immediately slept with this guy who was also several years older than me. And so I was actually just telling Nicole this whole story this morning, but he just totally warped my perspective of anything regarding sex. He was just very, very twisted. The things that he would ask me to do and, you know, like threesomes when I was 15 you know and so that was like my perception of sex and I thought that that was normal because I had no idea of what like I don't want to say a healthy sex life looks like because that's 
only within the confines of marriage but you know as as a 15 16 year old girl having no idea what's normal what's not what's right what's wrong really I mean I knew it was pretty dark but I just now in hindsight I look back and even when I look at like a 15 year old girl I'm like oh my gosh you just you're a baby you have no idea like about anything you 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 don't know anything about anything when you look at a 15 year old girl it's like oh you got a big storm coming like you're a child and so from there that's when I started putting myself in positions that you know unfortunately I also was a victim of rape two different times and the first person I ever ever told about these situations I was super drunk at a party at a house party and I had passed out and the guy who was throwing the party it was his house and I woke up and he was having sex with my unconscious body and I remember being super thrown off and I I didn't stop him so I mean like Mariah I just essentially froze and I wanted him to think that I was still asleep and so I didn't do anything and I remember the very first person that I told about what happened she had been one of my best friends at the time and she said well didn't you and -and so-and-so like have a thing anyways so and she completely minimized it and you know changed my perspective to be like what had happened to me was just kind of my own fault and I I had asked for it because I was drunk at a party and I allowed myself to pass out and you know we we did kind of like each other so I guess it was okay and so I never called it sexual assault it took me years to call it that and then from there I did just sleep with anyone who gave me any attention and totally spiraled and it's crazy when you start to get into that lifestyle because you medicate by doing things that you then need to also medicate so I was in this habitual perpetual downward spiral of drinking and doing drugs to forget who I had slept with and then in that state sleeping with someone and then the next weekend getting obliterated drunk to forget and then doing something else or having something else happen to me and so I actually went to counseling initially because I was and I was struggling with anorexia and so I got down to 95 pounds and my mom I was a gosh I guess I was a senior in high school and I finally or junior in in college when I finally like dealt with everything because my mom told me that if she and my dad were going to continue to pay for college I had to go to counseling for my anorexia so I never thought about going to counseling for anything sexual assault or abuse related. I went to counseling for an eating disorder. And so while I was there, obviously everything started to come out little by little. And it made all the sense in the world when she told me that, you know, I had an eating disorder because there was so many times in my life that I was not in control and I wasn't in control of what happened to me or the things that were occurring. And so I was choosing to control the things that I ate and how much I exercised. It was my only real way of feeling like I had any say of what was happening to my body because there had been so many times in my life that I didn't have a say and I didn't know what was happening. And so that loss of control and all of those years of just being 
so taken advantage of and dismissed had finally manifested itself in needing disorder. And so that's when I started going to counseling twice a week and doing the type of therapy that Kristen actually provides. And there were so many breakthroughs. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was every, every single session was the best and the worst thing all at the same time. It was just so exhausting. And I remember even going through counseling, I was like a shell of a person. And there were so many times that I would be like, is this productive? Like, is this a good thing? Because I'm so freaking tired and I'm so just spent and I don't want to talk about anything else anymore. And it is so much easier to like sweep things under the rug and not address them or just be like, I'm stronger from what happened to me. And that is true. But there is, it's so hard to choose healing and to choose to walk that path. It's exhausting. And I did. It took six months of going to counseling twice a week with this incredible Christian counselor who I like (laughs) all my life to. And since then, I have been so passionate. I, I have small groups of girls at different schools and talking with them about the things that they're experiencing. Because for me, the sexual abuse that I encountered really started from deeply rooted insecurity in middle school. And that's so common. And so it's like, okay, if I can talk with a girl who feels so worthless and is ready to give herself to any guy who gives her a second look and I can tell her like, this is what happened to me. You don't have to choose this. And here are all the red flags that I just stared at and walked past without knowing, honestly, so so much of the time. So I am so happy to be here and even listening to Mariah talk and seeing so many similarities in our stories but also just like the differences and how now we're here together it is so cool and I am so grateful and I am really really expectant when it comes to this podcast and the impact that it's going to have honestly yeah me too thank you you know you guys are so brave as I'm listening to both of your stories I'm like because I've known you both in different times of your life Mm -hmm. um probably you way before you've dealt with your I didn't know you really well Anissa but I knew of you and then you Mariah when I met you um I remember we did a we did our very first video together testimony yeah and you were not as comfortable as you are now and I it's like it's a great thing that because I see just how far you've come just in a short period of time and for me all that says is just continuously talking about it and being productive in your story by finding healing and a way to um, kind of outlet what has happened to you and not just keep it inside Mm -hmm. and let it do what's bad work inside your heart like you're getting it out and speaking and stuff so I'm just so grateful for you guys so my story is um nothing like your guys's story um and that is actually one of the things that kept me away from coming to finding healing or trees of hope or anything like that so when I was six years old I was sexually abused by a boy a teenager in my neighborhood and he had been somebody I looked up to. He'd been somebody that was in like the cool group in my neighborhood. So I went for a bike ride with him and I don't know really how we got separated from the the group, but I got separated from the group with him and he called me over to a bunch of bushes behind an abandoned house and I went with him and it's kind of a blur really all that happened at that moment, but I remember standing there butt naked and him touching me in my private parts and um, really making me feel super dirty, like 
I just felt like I was being a grown-up when I was a six-year-old. And these are things that I didn't know anything about because my parents did not talk to me about my private parts. They did not talk to me about sex. It just wasn't talked about in my home. Um, But I did have a close relationship with my parents. So I did not leave there and run home and go, Mom, Dad, I was just sexually abused. Um, There was so much shame and blame because I walked into that bush. I walked, I followed him. So I, I left there always really pushing down that, that, voice in my head that said that was something we need to tell mom and dad about. So I carried that secret with me, you know, my whole life really up until I was about 30 years old. There was only a few people in my life that knew about it. And I only would tell somebody when I was drunk, really. And my brother did know. And he always, he actually brought it up many times to people. Like if he saw I was acting sensitive, he would say, you know, my, my sister's been sexually abused. So be, be gentle with her. Yeah. And so... He thought he was doing loving things, <laughs> but he um, but he wasn't. So in that period of time, there was so many different instances that happened to me. Um, I had lost my virginity way before my I wanted to. I had a boyfriend who basically was like just like you. If you don't love me, um, you if if you're showing me you don't love me by not having sex with me, and I was a really confident girl, um, but I was more like, well. I'm afraid that if I don't, he's going to either hurt me or he's going to hurt one of my friends or he's going to hurt himself. So I thought, well, let me just kind of take care of this and get over it so that it can just move along. And that was basically every experience of sex after that point, after I had lost my virginity. It was basically like, let me just do this and cover my eyes and close my mouth and really just sit here and just be used. Now, fast forward to when I was 16 years old, or around 17, I had been walking home from school my very first day, and a guy called me over to his car and was asking me for directions to something local. So I walked over to him not thinking anything because I, I literally lived in this innocent bubble, and I walked over and he was fully masturbating to me and saying like you know pretty crude things to me while he was doing it. Well, I did leave there that day and I ran home and I did tell my parents. So it was just, you know, different. I was an older person. I was a little bit wiser and I, and I had a lot more grit in me. And I really wanted to see that. I felt really violated. So I really wanted to see that guy destroyed, which he was. My, my parents did come to my rescue. They, they really did act valiantly. And um, I was picking the guy from a line out, a lineup within just a couple of days. But I had a few things that happened to me after that, which was, you know, just kind of like assaults where I was walking down the street one day at a party, a, a street party, and a guy just stuck his finger right up my crotch as I was walking. And, you know, I... I never thought any of three of those things were sexual abuse. And now that I'm in this and I've been in this for five years, if someone came to me and said all of those things, I would be looking at them crazy like, you have been sexually abused. What is wrong with you? (laughs) But it took me years to come to a place where I was courageous enough to say that, say it's sexual abuse, sexual assault, to define it as it was, and to not let the the false beliefs that I was believing, which was, it was my fault. I shouldn't have walked over to that car. I shouldn't have walked into that bush. I shouldn't have lost my virginity. Like, so what if he would have killed himself? Like, I should have just let him kill himself kind of thing. So all of these things I had no control over because like I tell Mariah all the time, uh, when I'm telling my story, I say, but I never 
I've played with many kids that took me into bushes and never touched me. So it was, there was a difference. There was somebody took advantage of me and I have to place the blame appropriately. And that's a part of healing. You know, that's a part of um, saying that I'm not going to take the blame of this anymore and I'm going to place it where it needs to be appropriately so I can heal really. Yes. No, I was going to say, just hearing you say that, I think it is, that's like one of the hardest things to do. And I think too, because we, I mean, even just the one girl that I kind of shared my story with who said like, but didn't, didn't you and him have a thing? I think it's so easy to start to say before you do call it what it is, sexual assault, sexual abuse, like, oh, I put myself in a bad situation I you know there were so many times before I went through counseling that I would say yeah but I I had drank so much I was so drunk if I hadn't have Mm -hmm. drank that wouldn't have happened to me if I wouldn't have been spending the night at a place that I shouldn't have been spending the night at that wouldn't have happened to me so I think hearing you say that it is just so hard to acknowledge sexual assault and sexual abuse for what it truly is instead of putting the blame on yourself and saying, you know, if I had done X, Y, or Z differently, then that wouldn't have happened. But the reality is always that person shouldn't have violated you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're walking down the street naked. If someone assaults you, they're assaulting you. And so that's such a hard thing to recognize as a survivor of sexual abuse is that nothing was your fault. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I actually, it took me, it was probably up until, I still go through those thoughts because me and Mariah, we currently are doing these videos right now that we're going to, um, that are basically all of our online, all of our support groups are going to be online and we have to revisit these topics all the time. So we're like, you know, are we minimizing anything? Are we, yeah. you know, and one of the things that I, we've had to literally sit for like an hour before we go on film and hash out, okay, but I didn't want him to touch me. So like, remember that. And and then it's like, okay. And then if you don't mind me sharing that one thing you told me, yeah. which was she, she was struggling really for a long time with the fact that how she was raped was not with like a penis it was with his hand yeah and she said that to me and I was like Mariah did you want him to do that to you and she was like no I didn't and I was like then it's his fault mm-hmm. and you were like and it's still rape and it's, and well, it's yeah. still rape and yeah. I was kind of explaining to you how because one of our little sessions that we were talking about in our video was that in the sense of defining rape and um being like coming to terms of calling it rape was huge and empowering for me because even even being able to see that the definition legally is any object Mm -hmm. that's inserted and um so doing that also releases another layer of minimization and and then really having to grieve the full extent of it Mm -hmm. and then I'm I'm the same like I was drunk and if I never would have drunk and have been drunk then it would have never happened um and I've even had people say like you know as I was drunk at the wedding that next year haven't you learned anything Mariah and uh and it's just like whoo yeah tears down and it just tears it down or like um the guy at the party had told people that we engaged in consensual sex right and so then that just so Mm -hmm. added to Anissa sleeps with anyone and everyone right and inside I wanted to die because I was like I wasn't conscious 
to give you consent, number one, and number two, but then that was so embarrassing for me. I didn't want to share that with anyone because there was the aspect of like, okay, this sloppy drunk girl, you know, can't take care of herself and is so stupid. So I, the comments Mm -hmm. are, like you said before, I think sometimes even more painful than the thing that actually took place because a lot of times it does come from friends and family and it's like, oh, okay, so who can I talk to? Who is a safe place? Exactly. Yeah, and that's actually a great um, segue into what this podcast is going to be about. So our hope is to stay on topic of the topic of sexual abuse. We're going to do it from the aspect of healing and prevention um, and any tidbits or truths that we can provide you in ways to protect your child or anyone you know, love in your in your life that you can protect from being a victim of sexual abuse. We want to part that wisdom to you. But also there's healing that's going to come through sharing our stories and walking through a lot of what we go over in our support groups. So um, actually next week what we want to do is uh, talk about what is sexual abuse. We want to define it. We want to take a look at the different contact and non-contact versions of sexual abuse and give uh, lots of examples and then kind of break those down. And then as we go, we'll be talking about um, how do you deal with somebody, a parent, a friend, a family who says comments to you and right. you and is not supportive. You know, we all have those in our lives. And and is it always the best thing to share your story with someone in your family or who is that safe place for you? Mm-hmm. So we have a lot to talk about in this podcast and we're really, really excited and We just also want to say that if you're someone who's been sexually abused, uh, you're not alone. And I know with the whole Me Too movement and and all these other movements, it can feel like, finally, I'm not alone. But we want you to know that not only are you not alone, that you're you're worth everything. You're worth love. You're worth respect. You're worth everything. And we want to be there for you. We want to do this journey with you. So please, at any time, if you want to reach out to us, if any of our stories hit home for you and you feel like, you know, you want to know more about who we are and get to know us personally, please check us out on our website at treesofhope.org and you'll find out more information about us there. So that's it, guys. We did the first podcast. (laughs) We did the first. (laughs) This is it. So we will see you next week. We're looking forward to it and we will see you then. Peace out. Bye. Bye.